Welcome to the Women's Health Podcast. I'm Marika Hart from Herosphere. And I'm Anthony Lowe, the Physio Detective. Together we interview leading authorities, answer questions and share our thoughts to provide the general public with the best quality information we can find on all aspects of women's health. Please remember that our materials and content on this podcast are intended as general information and for entertainment purposes only. They are not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Now it's time to get cracking with the episode. So whether you're out walking your dog, driving the kids to school or just sitting back enjoying a glass of wine, we hope you enjoy the show. Hello everyone and welcome to the Women's Health Podcast. This is Marika Hart from Herosphere and I've got Anthony Lowe, the physio detective with me, my fabulous co-host and Elaine Stevenson, who is from the My Therapy Reading Room, who will be doing our show notes. Um, big thumbs up, Elaine. We've been loving having those. And today we are... Oh, we're super excited because we have Molly Galbraith from Girls Gone Strong with us. Hi, Molly. Can you hear me, Molly? Hi, thank you. <laughs> I can. Thank you all so much for having me. So the last time I was on the podcast, I had not met either of you in person, and now I have. And so I'm even more excited to have the chance to do the podcast because I know how awesome you all are in person as well. So thanks for Yay. having me. We had proper hugs and everything. Uh, for those who didn't hear Molly's last talk, um, which was last year, we had a, a fabulous talk with Molly and Molly went into a lot of detail about her journey with fitness and also where Girls Gone Strong came from. So I really recommend um, for anyone who's interested in hearing that and it is a fabulous story, please go back and listen to that episode. Was that about episode three, Anthony? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. It feels like maybe number three. That's a surprise question without notice. That's okay. We can put that in the show notes. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll, so, we'll have a link to it. <laughs> for those that don't know Molly, Molly is the head poncho woman in charge of Girls Gone Strong. And I will get uh, Molly to talk about Girls Gone Strong to us because they're a fabulous organisation that I am very privileged to, um, to be a part of. Uh, but Molly, would you like to introduce yourself and just tell us, for those that don't know about Girls Gone Strong, what you're all about? Yeah, absolutely. So like Marika said, I'm Molly Galbraith, co-founder and woman in charge at Girls Gun Throng. So I've personally been in fitness for almost 15 years now. February will be my 15 year anniversary. And I've done a number of things in fitness from competing in figure competitions to competing in powerlifting to co-owning a brick and mortar gym in Lexington, Kentucky, um, to uh, being co-founder and, and woman in charge at Girls Gun Strong. So Girls Gun Strong is the largest platform providing evidence-based body positive, interdisciplinary, uh, health, wellness, fitness, pre and postnatal information for women and the largest platform educating health and fitness professionals on women specific information that's also evidence-based and interdisciplinary and body positive. So we've got about 750,000 women in our community from 80 countries around the world. Um, so we're a global community, which is really exciting. And we educate them um, like I said, women in health and fitness professionals on those topics through free articles at our website, free courses, um, certifications, and other programs that we put out. And so, yeah, so it's really cool. We've been, Girls Gone Strong's been around for going on eight years now, um, and it's, it's really exciting uh, that we've been able to help so many women through the work we do. And it's lovely to see the quality of the work that, go, that goes into the Girls Gone Strong articles, but all the courses, even the mini courses. So Molly will talk later about the, the mini course that's coming out soon for pre and postnatal fitness, but the depth of detail that is available, even in the free content, is, is so amazing. And I think it's really valuable for people who can't necessarily, you know, spend a lot of money on education. 
Mm-hmm. That's one of our um, one of our core values at Girls Gun Strong is accessibility. So making high quality information accessible um, to people, and particularly people that wouldn't have socio- the socioeconomic means to access the information otherwise. Um, so that yeah, that's that's super important to us, and one of the reasons that we have over gosh, 750 free articles on our website, 500 articles on YouTube, half a dozen free courses, free five-day courses that are um, more extensive than a lot of people's paid courses. So yeah, it's super important to us to be able to provide that information. So Yeah, no, it's been fantastic to see, um, to meet you in person. And I had the privilege of bringing my daughter along um, because I wanted her to meet strong, strong women and leaders in in their field. So um, really felt privileged to have my daughter along for that. And I know that she still talks about you today and, um, and you know, it's it's been a great impact. So thank you for that. And thank you for the work that you do with Girls Gone Strong. I think it's so important. Um, today on the podcast, uh, wanted to talk about that postnatal period and in particular body image after pregnancy. And so, you know, there's, there's lots of phrases that we hear, uh, you know, I'm going to bounce back. I'm going to get my pre-baby body back. Um, you know, what's, what's going on there? Why are women feeling that need to feel that pressure? Um, you know, you obviously come in from a, a trainer's point of view, from an educator's point of view, from a social media's point of view. Uh, what's your take on on why there is this pressure and is it fair? Yeah, that is such a good question. So I love this talk. Body image is something that I'm super passionate about. Um, I will be very honest. I've not been pregnant. I'm not a mother. So I'm going to be obviously wanting to hear from you a little bit, Marika, and talk to you, Anthony, too, about your experiences with your um, patients. But, you know, being the leader of an organization that has over 750,000 women in it that's educated, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of women about this topic and has worked with thousands of um, health and fitness professionals about it, I am privy to, uh, to some of this information so I think that um, what, so I kind of think about, I always think about things in like a 1.0 version to a 2.0 version. And now I think we're at the 3.0 version. So the 1.0 version, I think of several years ago when it was really common for for women to say like, I want to get my pre-baby body back or for coaches and trainers to advertise to clients and patients that they could help them get their pre-baby body back. And I think as we've started to see things, and I'll talk about why that is in a minute, but I think as we see things get to kind of the 2.0 version where we're realizing like, hey, maybe that's not the best phrasing. We should be a little bit more body positive about it. Now a lot of coaches and trainers are kind of rolling their eyes at that and saying like, it's so frustrating to hear women say that. So later on in the podcast, I want to talk about this kind of 3.0 version, why why I think we could take um, a little bit better or softer approach with our clients and patients. So there's a number of reasons I think this happens. And first thing first, I think we can point to media. We're consuming so much media via movies, you know, TVs, YouTube, we're consuming so much social media via Instagram and Facebook. And there's um, a lot of evidence to show that, you know, so we see about four to 10,000 images a day, right? And the images that we typically see in the media are really narrow definitions of what fit and healthy and strong and, you know, pre-baby body or post-baby body might look like. And so that's shaping 
consciously. So we only process about 8% of what we see consciously. So we're processing 92% of what we see in an image subconsciously telling us this is right. This is good. This is the type of body that you're supposed to have. So women are seeing four to 10,000 images a day when they're new moms. They've recently had a baby. They're searching for things about baby stuff on Instagram and Facebook and Google and things like that. So they're being hit with all of these images that are related to getting your pre-baby body back from advertisers and marketers. And then maybe they're following women on social media that they that they believe they find are inspirational, right? So they're seeing these women whose bodies quote unquote bounce back really quickly. They're seeing celebrities who are walking the catwalk at four weeks and six weeks postpartum in Victoria's Secret shows. You know, they're seeing these really unrealistic images what a woman's body looks like in the postpartum. So we're seeing that in media. We're seeing four to 10,000 images a day. And many of them um, are showing this really narrow definition of what fit and healthy, a fit and healthy, strong, you know, post baby body looks like. Um, Then when we uh, are conditioned to believe that that's what these bodies look like, then we get it from other people, right? So we're getting it from family members, from partners, from mothers, from mothers-in-law, from, you know, friends who are, you know, maybe making comments about our body saying like, you know, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, you had your baby four weeks ago or whatever. They're making comments about what a woman's body looks like. And then it even happens to women in the public sphere as well. So I've heard stories of women pushing their, you know, three week old baby in a stroller and someone looks at them and says, when are you due, right? Making a comment about their body when it's very clear that they've, you know, just recently had a baby. So I think that there's, you know, it's coming at women from all sides and it's really difficult to escape it, especially because new moms are often at home with their new baby, feeling isolated, craving some type of connection and spending a lot of their downtime on social media being hit with all of those images. So I, I think that that's a lot of, um, of the reason that women are, are you know, being bombarded with this particular body image. But I also think there's a lot of stuff that's changed about their body and happened to their body. So they are thinking about wanting their pre-baby body back, but they might also be craving something different. They might be craving a little bit of normalcy. They might be craving a little bit of the body they used to know. They might be craving a little bit of um, feeling like they can predict what's going to happen in their body or they have some control over the body because they felt a big loss of control. So Marika, I don't know if you can speak to that at all, having had two kids yourself and worked with a lot of mums. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, one thing I would add to that, I completely agree about the image, images. Um, you probably noticed that I'm, I'm terrible on Instagram. I pretty much never go on there. Um, it's probably part of the reason why is that I, I don't actually want to expose myself to thousands of images a day of, of uh, you know, a certain body image that is perhaps not mine. Um, but I was just thinking also while you were talking, Molly, I think uh, for a lot of us, especially, you know, career women, we, we have this perception that we we can have it all, that we should be able to have it all, that we should be able to X, Y, and Z, you know, go back to work, raise a child, look a certain way, um, be comfortable sexually in our body after having a baby, you know, like do all these things. And we can feel like a failure if we don't actually live up to those expectations. So I think, you know, we, there is so much from the media, but I think we also put a lot of pressure on ourselves to almost like it's we haven't had a baby you know we we need to be that person we were before to have all those roles like we had before Mm -hmm. Anthony anything there that you've seen with your patients yeah I well patients and me um for me again I agree the images I know the effect that these images have on my daughter and her friends for example um, less so about my sons, just because <laughs> boys don't talk the same. Um, but 
with respect to um, almost the flip side, because, you know, I, I always try to challenge things from another point of view. What about, um, what about say, the World Health Organization's recommendations for physical activity? Um, you know, what does that look like in the postnatal period? When does that start? When you start prioritizing that, um, you know, and, and some of the women that, um, that I'm treating postnatally, it, it, it's about wanting to get back to doing what they're doing, um, feeling slow, feeling sluggish, feeling sleep deprived. Um, you know, I think that's, that's some of it. And it's, it's finding that balance, you know, it, it's, it's thinking about, well, it's okay to love your body. And yet I want to be fitter and stronger. Mm-hmm. How is, is that not body positive? If I declare that I want to be fitter and stronger, for example, like I don't like the fact that I'm overweight and slow and unfit and lose my breath going up a flight of stairs and things like that. That doesn't mean that I'm not body positive. Um, it just means that I don't like my health at this stage in this body and for health reasons, you know, I've decided to prioritize it. It's getting that balance. On the podcast, like you can't see Molly's like head nodding and nodding and nodding. (laughs) No, I, I love that. And I actually wrote something. I just want to, I just went and pulled it up real quick on my, on my computer because I do think, um, I have a, a, a quote that I first said maybe five or six years ago that circulated a whole lot um, throughout the fitness community that says, you can love or embrace your body while wanting it to look or perform differently than it does right now. Both can be true. And the reason that I firmly believe that, so first of all, I think the most body positive thing we can do for anyone is give them the autonomy to make the decisions that they want for their body and not allow them to be pressured or shamed or judged for decisions that they make about their body. Um, But a couple other really important things. So I believe that if you eat nutritious food or work out because you hate your body, even if you reach your goals, that's not true health. So I think that's really important, right? You can eat well, you can move your body, but if things, uh, you know, if you're constantly saying negative things to yourself all day long, if you're doing it because, you know, for really negative reasons, if you're, uh, you know, speaking negatively to yourself the whole time that you're doing it, your mental health is not probably not, you know, in the right place. So you're not going to be, you're not going to have good overall health. Um, also people often think that a specific aesthetic or performance goal will change their relationship with their body, but whenever they get there, there isn't enough, right? Because that's not, it's, it's an inside job. It's not like, you know, women will say, I want to lose 20 pounds. I want to have a flat stomach. I want to wear a size six. But when that happens, it's still not enough because their relationship with their body isn't necessarily about the way that it looks or performs. Um, I also think that, uh, you know, believing that you can't like your body and want to change it means that the only reason that you would like your body is because of its aesthetics or performance. See what I'm saying? Like if, if, you can't, if you can't like it and also want to change it, if we say that those two things can't be true, then that means the only reason to like it has to do with how you feel about how it looks. And I just don't agree with that statement. I think there's so many other reasons to be grateful for and like our bodies. Um, and then I think that, you know, believing that you can't like your body and also want to change it means that per- only perfect bodies are worthy of affection. And I don't agree with that statement either. So I, I truly believe that you can embrace or like or feel more comfortable or at home in your body and also want something to look or be different. Um, I just think 
that, and again, I think that giving people autonomy is the most important thing, but I do think that overall there are things that we can do to, um, to create a more body positive environment for our clients so that they can get to that place where they're making, uh, wanting to make changes um, because they care about their body, because they want to take care of their body, because they want to feel good in their body versus my body has to look like this really narrow definition of fit, healthy, or strong that's really challenging to achieve. Um, and I'm going to beat my body into submission to make that happen. So I think that's, um, I think that's a super important kind of distinction there. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately giving women autonomy, and we'll, we can talk about that a little bit later in the podcast when we talk about health and fitness professionals who are wanting to deal with women who are having these things. I think giving your clients the autonomy to make decisions about themselves and meeting them where they are in that space is really important. Mm. And, you know, a lot, uh, a, lot of what, a lot of what we do, uh, Marika and I, um, is we may not actually change our treatment, for example, but we, we change the reasons why we're doing certain treatments. Um, I know that that's happened for me as I've gone along on my professional journey. And it sounds like what you're saying, um, just to clarify, is that you can still want the same things. For example, I do want to lose 50 kilos, um, you know, over 100 pounds, 110 pounds more. and um, and I do want to do that. And I want to be fitter and stronger and faster. And I have a performance goal that I want to hit. Um, but the reason why I'm doing it is for my health. It's not for, um, because I hate my body. I don't, I certainly don't like where I am fitness wise. There's reasons for it. Is, am I getting, am I getting the sense of what you're trying to say? The reasons why we're choosing to change our body. Um, are we yeah, going down that track? Absolutely. Uh, and I think for a couple of reasons, number one, like I mentioned, I think that it's more conducive to overall true health. I think we often discount the value of mental health and a person's overall well-being. And number two, I think it's more sustainable. It's absolutely exhausting and demotivating uh, to constantly be speaking negatively to yourself and about yourself constantly. I mean, when's like, like what thing do you absolutely hate and think is worthless that you take really good care of, right? <laughs> Very few things. So thinking, you know, believing in your inherent worth, thinking that you have value and wanting to make these positive choices because you believe you're worthy is a lot more sustainable, I've noticed, in in the long term and towards of making change. So I think it has to do with, <laughs> now Marika's fist bumping. So it has to do with the overall health and also sustainability of, of habits and motivation. Yeah, and I raise, oh, yeah, sorry. and I, sorry, sorry, I just time delays. I, I, I definitely raise it because I see a lot of people that seem confused about what body, body positivity is, you know, mm. um, and that's why I'm so happy that we're talking about this and let's just clarify it. <laughs> Yeah. And, and to take it a step further um, about body positivity, which I'll try not to get too much in a tangent. So I got body positive, positivity confused about four or five years ago when I thought body positivity had to do with the way that I felt about myself. So the body positive movement actually started to um, with a focus on people in marginalized bodies. So uh, women and particularly women of color, LGBTQ women, women in larger bodies, women with physical and mental disabilities. So women that you don't typically see in mainstream media um, and giving them a space and a place and representation on different media platforms or social media platforms so that 
um, women in those communities could see other women that looked like them. And so body positivity is more about, um, you know, not having a hierarchy of bodies, not saying one type of body is better than the other, making sure that people in marginalized bodies have more representation, um, things like that. So there is, again, still some confusion in the body positive movement of like, uh, it's just about liking yourself. And the body positive movement is actually a way bigger movement than that. And we try to um, do things within Girls Gone Strong that are really mindful of that. Uh, However, I, again, to me, uh, giving women autonomy is the ultimate thing that you can do in terms of empowering them and, and being body positive. That's a tangent I could take us on another day. <laughs> I feel like that's a whole podcast in itself, Molly. We mm-hmm. could talk about that for quite a while. Totally. But it's great. I was just thinking about what you were saying, reflecting on what you were saying about um, coming from that place of, of self-love where if we're talking about food, for example, you know, nourishing your body and giving it things that you know, you feel that it needs rather than punishing yourself or with exercise. It's that, you know, finding joy in movement, for example, versus I had a cookie, therefore I've got to smash myself on a treadmill. Um, that, that, that punishment that women often, often do to themselves as is like, I did this, therefore I'm, I'm bad because this was mm-hmm. a bad thing. So therefore I have to yeah. balance the scales, not literally, figuratively, by, yeah. by doing something to counteract that bad thing that I did to my body, which I don't mm-hmm. like. Absolutely. And no, I totally, totally agree. I see so many women using exercise and nutrition as a form of punishment instead of, again, a form of like nourishment or joyful movement for their body. And I did want to touch a little bit to circle back to kind of what Anthony said about some of the patients that he's worked with who um, are wanting to get back maybe in a functional way or a more athletic or performance way to their bodies. And so, you know, certainly we see a lot of women that want to quote unquote, get their pre-baby body back from an aesthetic way, right? They want to get back to a certain size. They want to lose a certain amount of weight or they want their stomach or their skin to look a certain way. But I think, um, a lot of them are craving, especially if they were athletes before, or if they had a lot of their identity or pride wrapped up in their physical accomplishments. I think it's so normal for them to uh, want to get back to that as quickly as possible post-pregnancy. Um, if especially you know, because they have the nine months during pregnancy, right, where they might have had to back their exercise down a little bit. They're dealing with their body changing. They might feel, especially if they've been a high-level athlete who's had a lot of control over their body. I know when I was competing in um, figure competition competitions for years, I was so used to saying, if I eat X and do Y, then Z will happen to my body. And I know athletes, you know, same kind of thing. If I train in this particular way and recover in this way and eat in this way, then I'll perform in this way. So for a lot of them, for the first time in their lives, their body feels completely out of control. So it's not only that they're not able to train in the way that they were before. It's not only that, you know, they might've had to change their nutrition or things like that, but also their body looks different, feels different, and it feels, you know, out of really out of control. And so they're really itching to get some semblance of that back because for a lot of them, they, you know, that is part of their identity and part of the way that they manage their mental health as well um, is through those workouts and, and, and that kind of stuff. So I think it's super common for women to want to get back to that, not just from an aesthetics perspective, but from a performance um, perspective as well. And from an identity perspective, because everything's shifted for them um, in their identity as new moms. So I think that's uh, really, really normal. And I think coaches and trainers who are listening to this um, can definitely be part of helping their clients do that in a way that's going to be safe and also effective for the moms. That's great, Molly. And I think we will come back to that um, a little bit later in the podcast because we're going to talk about specific tips for fitness professionals um, working with the postpartum population. 
That's a lot of alliteration there, the post-alliteration. <laughs> or we say pre and post, anyway. Um, <laughs> I, when we were talking about changes that occur in pregnancy, you just kind of touched on that. So I'd love you to just go into a little bit more detail about some of the changes that occur um, to a woman's you know, physical state or mental state during pregnancy. But even birth and the postpartum period, it's almost like, I know that's a, that's a continuum, but during that whole period, do you want to just touch on some of the things that might affect how a woman feels about her body? Yeah, absolutely. So I do feel a little bit ridiculous being the one to talk about the physical and anatomical changes that happen to a woman during pregnancy to two physios, but I'll, I'll just, I'll give a high level overview and then you guys can step in and, and fill in. So during, during pregnancy, Antony and Marika, this is what happens to a woman's abdominal wall. Uh, so it must expand significantly, right? So there are changes to the muscle and connective tissue to make room for the baby. Um, the position of the rib cage changes and the muscles of the abdominal wall can become longer and weaker. So a lot of this occurs at the linea alba, which is the connective tissue between the two sides of the rectus abdominis and a woman's pelvic floor. Uh, also experiences um, extra strain due to weight and pregnancy related hormones um, also seem to affect the contraction of the pelvic floor muscles. So those are some of the anatomical things that happen to a woman's body um, during pregnancy and post-pregnancy and, and during pregnancy, a lot of women also experience, um, you know, mental and emotional changes again with loss of identity um, between 14 and 23 percent of women actually experience depression during their pregnancy which is really challenging um, and then in the post-pregnancy period between 8 and 20 percent of women experience postpartum depression so around 80 percent of women experience what's known as the baby blues they feel a little bit down for about the first two weeks after they um, after they deliver their baby but 8 to 20 percent of women experience actual postpartum depression um, and these symptoms can develop up to a year after giving birth, which can make, make things even more difficult. You have a new baby at home. You might have multiple children at home. You're experiencing um, postpartum depression. It might not show up in, for, in, for months afterwards, so it can be kind of confusing. Maybe you don't attribute it to postpartum depression because it didn't happen immediately. Um, so there's just a whole lot of things going on for women. And 30% of women experience pain during sex at 12 months postpartum. So we've got all kinds of different things happening uh, women might be experiencing urinary incontinence or you know heaviness, some type of pelvic organ prolapse. So there's all kinds of stuff happening for women physically and mentally during pregnancy and in that postpartum period. And again, you uh, you add to this the pressure and stress that they might be feeling about the way their body looks or feels. They might not recognize their body. They might have lost some of their identity as an athlete. They might not be ready for their identity as a mother. Um, some. For some of them, their pregnancy might have been a surprise. You know, a lot of people are really elated about being pregnant, but it's also really normal for women to be scared or angry or upset. Um, maybe they weren't planning on it happening. Maybe they didn't think they could have kids. Um, so, you know, women can be experiencing a lot of different things and they could be experiencing all of those emotions all throughout the nine months, right? Um, sadness, anger, joy, elation, you know, fear, all of these things throughout that period. So it's, it can be a real physical and a mental mental um, roller coaster for a lot of women during pregnancy and, um, and postpartum. And so all of that can contribute to them feeling like they want to get their pre-baby body back. So they say that, and it might have something to do with aesthetics, it might have something to do with performance, or it might actually have something to do with just wanting to feel like they recognize their body and feel at home in their body again, and they don't really know how to verbalize that uh, maybe um, or even that they want to get back to their life before, you know, in some ways they want to be sleeping and they want to have autonomy and they don't want to have a baby attached to them, you know, 
uh, 20 hours a day or whatever it is. And, and for them, the only way to verbalize that might be, I want my pre-baby body back because they're just craving some sense of what their life was like before they had a baby. So I think it can be, can be really complex. And if you guys have anything to add to that, <laughs> we've been talking for like five minutes straight. I think we were both like looking at each other going, who was, who's going to jump in? Oh, that was fantastic. I, I think that's a really, um, that's a fantastic summary. And just bringing it back to um, what you were saying earlier about just not being dismissive about people's goals, because it would be easy to say, well, you shouldn't be looking to get your, your pre-baby body back because that's not realistic or that's not a good goal to have. Um, but like you said, that what that might look like might be, well, I want to be able to, you know, go for a walk without feeling any heaviness from a prolapse or I don't want to pee when I jump on the trampoline with my child or I want to, or it might be, you know, I want to feel good looking at myself naked. Um, there, there is this whole spectrum of things in that. And this is where really good coaching comes in to find out where the client is at and what their goals are and how we can meet them and, and bring them closer towards their goals, whatever they may be. I was just thinking the other thing that, um, I think maybe you talked about earlier, Molly, or maybe we discussed previously was just sometimes the birth process, um, which for for some women, it's this, I mean, I had I had really good births. I'm very fortunate. Um, my second one was actually a home birth and he was born on my birth, my bedroom floor and it was very straightforward and easy. And it was glorious. Like it was just ah, that kind of birth <laughs> you want to tell everyone about. It's unfortunately not like that for everybody. And um, for some women, birth is a very traumatic experience, whether that is physically or emotionally or both. Um, and some women may feel um, some PTSD associated with that birth process too that might require a bit of unpacking. And again, you know, you're saying sometimes it, it, uh, how this may manifest might be, oh, I just want to get my pre-baby body back. But maybe, maybe there's a whole nother layer there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, postpartum PTSD affects about 9% of women, and this can be due to a host of factors from medical complications with the baby um, to medical complications with the mother, um, use of forceps or vacuum extraction, premature birth, a history of sexual abuse or rape, feelings of powerlessness or voicelessness in the decision-making process, or the birth not going maybe as you hoped or planned. So, and, and that's just like a small, a small number of reasons or, you know, things that could um, cause that to be triggered. So, I mean, 9% of women, that's one out of every 11 women has, um, I didn't realize it was actually that high. Yeah, has postpartum PTSD. So like you said, that can make things even more difficult and sensitive. And again, uh, so, you know, PTSD in and of itself is a, uh, is a really big deal and a really challenging thing to deal with. And then you add to that, that you've got a small baby to take care of that you're personally responsible for. Um, you might, especially if you live in the U.S., have a really short window of time before you have to go back to work. Um, and there could be a host of other factors. I know my sister um, takes uh, medication for um, some mental health issues, and she had to uh, severely back down her medication um, while she was pregnant. And then shortly after she gave birth to my nephew, her insurance company stopped covering uh, the medication that her doctor gave her. So they gave her a new medication and told her to try it out for six weeks and let them know how it went. And I'm like, you have a new mom who has mental health 
issues that she deals with and you're giving her a different medication and basically an experiment and telling her to take it home and try it out and see how it goes and come back in six weeks. And so there are a number of other things um, that women could be dealing with in addition to uh, the trauma they might, that they might be experiencing from birth or the other, um, you know, just kind of mental and emotional kind of roller coaster that they're on from that. So. And just a shout out to the dads too, because sometimes dads um, ha can have PTSD from, from a traumatic birth experience. And um, a very good friend of mine, he had the experience where the baby was handed to him and they said, say goodbye to your wife because we don't think she's going to make it. And there was blood all, and they left him in the room. There was blood all over the floor and he's got this brand new baby. And yeah. Oh my goodness. However many hours later she came, she's absolutely fine. Like she's fine now. But oh. that trauma, I, I you know, I, I think mm -hmm. is just... Yeah. So anyway, just to keep in mind that dads too can have a really traumatic experience. I think um, sometimes they do get a bit forgotten, um, especially when it comes to counselling, um, and and they they really might need it just to unpack that experience that they've had as well. Yeah, or know how to support their wife, right? We're not born with the tools and skills, or their partner. We're not born with the tools and skills to know how to you know, deal with something like that or be there for someone else who's um, going through things that, you know, that might be difficult or challenging. So I definitely am very glad that you brought that up and said that because um, I think that's important too. And the other thing is, I think um, it's really important to say like, yes, women go through a lot of these things or may go through a lot of these things during childbirth. Um, if 9% of women have postpartum PTSD, that means 91% of women don't. So, uh, you know, birth, birth can be in pregnancy and stuff can be really challenging. But I do want to highlight that there are a lot of things that women can do for themselves and that health and fitness professionals can do to help women feel more comfortable, more safe, more at home, more resilient, um, you know, and just better in their body and stronger and more capable in their bodies overall. So there are a lot of things that women can do for themselves and a lot of things that we can do as health and fitness professionals to help women um, feel those things as well. So I would love to, to jump in and tackle some of those if you all are ready. Well, funny you mentioned that because, well, hold on. Funny you mentioned that because the next question we were going to ask is, mm -hmm. given all the consideration of, of all, all these physical and emotional and social changes that are going on in their life, um, what are some of the suggestions that you might have that can help women have a different relationship to their body, which allows them to meet whatever goals they have in a positive sort of, in a positive sort of way? Yeah, I love that. So there are a lot of things that women can do. And first things first, it's super important for them to become aware of how they're speaking to and about themselves or how they're thinking um, about themselves. Because you can't change anything until you become aware of it. So for a lot of um, my clients, for the first week or two, I'll tell them your only job this week is to simply stop and notice and name when you are thinking or saying something negative about yourself or your body. That's your only job. You don't have to do anything about it. You don't judge it. You don't try to change it. Nothing. You just stop and notice and name and say, I was getting ready to say something really negative about myself, or I was thinking something really you know, nasty about my body. Um, because again, we can't change something until we become aware of it. And then 
they'll start to realize that they're doing it literally, you know, a dozen times an hour or that they're saying things constantly out loud. Um, so they're saying it, they're hearing it, they're thinking it like that's, that's like building some really strong neural pathways. It's like, yep, your body's gross. Yes. There's something wrong with you. Yes. You know, you're damaged. Yes. Like, you know, you have, you need to be fixed. Like that's some really strong reinforcement to hear hundreds of times or think hundreds of times a day. And again, to say out loud to other people and things like that. So first things first is to become aware of how they're speaking to themselves or what they're saying about or to themselves or thinking. Um, step number two is to try to attempt to neutralize it. So I think it's um, really unrealistic to think that women are going to go from, I hate my body, I feel awful, to I love my body, I feel amazing. So just the same way that we take clients or patients through these really small, slow progressions, I think it's important for them to soften the way that they're talking about themselves a little bit or neutralize the way that they're talking about themselves a little bit. So instead of saying, my body looks so disgusting, maybe they say, this is how my body looks today. You know, and it's just like this really kind of neutral, um, neutral step that they can take or neutral kind of conversation that they can have with themselves about their body. Uh, next, I think, is finding things about their body um, that they're proud of or grateful for. So that could be, I think my hair looks really nice, or that could be, I'm so proud of myself, um, you know, that I was carried and created this baby over nine months. Um, I love the way that my body allows me to snuggle my new baby. I love the way that my body allows me to receive love from my partner. I love the way that, you know, I'm so excited about the idea that my body can create food and nourishment for my baby. Um, just different, you know, any kind of thing that they can think of to say or be proud of about their body. If they are struggling to do that, back it down a little bit and make it easier, right? We got to regress them a little bit if that feels too difficult. Um, and they can just say something nice about themselves in general. So I'm a good friend. I'm a good listener. You know, I'm a hard worker. I'm tenacious. I'm creative. I'm, you know, timely, like whatever, like right? just get them in this kind of um, positive momentum of saying or thinking nice things about themselves, even if it doesn't have anything to do with their body. So step one is becoming aware. Step two is attempting to neutralize what they're saying or thinking about their bodies. Step three would be to start trying to shift it towards something positive. If that feels too hard, back it down a little bit and say something positive about themselves as a person versus their body. Um, uh, number four, it's not, it doesn't necessarily go in chronological order, but a fourth thing that they can do is to begin to curate their social media feed and follow empowering accounts that display um, bodies of different shapes, sizes, ages, races, ability levels. Um, obviously, I think Girls Gone Strong, at the Girls Gone Strong on Instagram is a really great account to follow. I know you all both have great um, social media accounts as well, but particularly uh, of women who are showing, um, you know, maybe kind of like a more raw uh, or uncut, um, unedited version of what their body looks like in the postpartum period. You guys might have some great examples of, um, of accounts that do that. I think that can be really helpful. I know more women are are sharing what their bodies look like in the early days and months postpartum with, you know, without fabulous lighting and, um, you know, editing and, and Photoshop and all those things. Um, and then number five is, you know, begin taking action with your body in a way that helps you feel better about it. So a lot of people think that motivation, um, they have to sit around and wait for motivation to kind of strike them, right? But actually motivation comes from taking action. So especially if you are cooped up in your house, um, you know, the, 
23 hours a day, right? You're not getting a lot of social interaction, 23 hours a day, you're hanging out with your baby, maybe spending a little bit of time with your partner. Pick one or two really small things that you can do for yourself on a regular basis that are going to help you feel like you're taking better care of yourself, right? We talked earlier about how, um, you know, we don't take care of, take good care of things that we don't believe are worthy of taking good care of, right? So whether that's going out for a five minute walk or it's pre-chopping some vegetables that you're going to eat throughout the day, or it's drinking a big glass of water, or it's relaxing on the couch with, you know, a mug of hot tea, like pick one or two really small things that you can do for yourself and tell yourself that you're doing it because you believe that you're valuable and worthy. Um, and that can kickstart a really powerful kind of perspective shift um, for women when they start not only telling themselves that they're valuable and worthy, but then also taking action and doing something that feels good and while also telling them that they're doing it because they're valuable and worthy. Those are, those are a couple of powerful things that women can get started doing right away that I think could be really helpful. Yeah, I, um, I love that. I love that. Um, hold on. Sorry. I'm just controlling the camera. Um, <laughs> I love the the idea of um, of all of that, and it does seem like a natural progression. Like you said, it doesn't have to be in that order. One of the things that I was thinking about, because I've just got off teaching on my course, and and one of the, the the ways that I suggest that people change their beliefs about, you know, what what they believe about posture alignment how to manage certain conditions is pointing things out in other people. Um, this is an idea from Daniel Kahneman thinking uh, fast and slow, pointing out the, the logical fallacies technically in other people and then questioning, well, what are my beliefs? Is there a role? Because we naturally compare. I don't think we can ever stop that. It tends mm. to be, oh, I'm comparing, stop, check it, change it. Um, is there a role in trying to find the positive in other people and then recognizing that positive in yourself? Or like, do you have ways of, um, of dealing with those four to 12,000 images that we see and processing, you know, what are some ways that, that women can reframe um, some of that flood of what's coming in you know, um, in a more positive way. Yeah, I think that's a great question. So it feels like there were maybe a couple little things in there. So uh, first things first, it is, you know, there's, there's, you know, four to 10,000 images a day that we see, and we can curate some of those by choosing um, who we follow on social media, what pages we like, um, things like that. So, so we do have some uh, power in being able to curate that. Um, number two, I think, so what I have noticed over the years, as I have started curating my social media feed is that I've begun to expand. So I think when I first got this idea from a woman named Erin Brown, who was um, uh, part of Girls Gone Strong for a while, contributed articles and such for us, but she said, you know, the trouble isn't in valuing beauty. We value beauty in music and art and nature. We seek it in so many places. The trouble is in defining beauty so narrowly that we can't possibly achieve it. So I thought that that was so beautiful because it's so Again, it's kind of that 2.0 thinking of like, well, who cares what you look like? And it's like, hold on a second. You know, there, there are people who care about that. And it's okay for them to value that in themselves. But the problem is when we say, 
it only looks like this, right? And we're constantly moving the target. Like we literally like have magazines that look at celebrities and they're like, ooh, Kim Kardashian's butt and Jennifer Aniston's hair. And like, you know, they literally like Frankenstein a person together to be like, this is the perfect woman. Like even celebrities can't measure up, right? We literally pick them apart in parts and pieces. So I think it's important to say if um, you know, valuing a particular aesthetic or, you know, wanting to feel beautiful is important to you. That's totally okay. The challenge is when we define it so narrowly. So what I've noticed for myself, at least over the last um, probably five years since I've started curating my social media feed is that my definition of that has expanded so much to include so many different body shapes and sizes. And, um, and you know, I've kind of started to examine and get introspective about my own internalized um, issues with bodies, right? And things that I've been conditioned to believe over the last 34 years. So um, a couple things. So I do think you can curate that, which is really powerful. But once you start curating that, is you, again, it starts expanding your definition from a lot of women is, uh, you know, I'm five, almost 5'11", 170 pounds. Um, and a comment, I'm like, I don't know how many of that is in kilos. <laughs> 75, 75, 77 kilos, something like that, I think. Um, so a comment that I've gotten from a lot of women is that they don't like their body, but then they see me and think I look great. And then they realize we have basically the same body or that we're the same size or that we're the same shape. So seeing me has helped and seeing me feel confident and happy and strong and saying like, yeah, I like the way that I look has then helped them soften their gaze of themselves. So I don't know if that's kind of what you were getting at and your question, but like, can we look at other people and use that comparison as something positive in order to help us improve the way that we look at ourselves? So maybe if you're really petite, maybe you start following more women who are petite. If you're really muscular, maybe you follow more women like that. You know, if you want to see like, you know, more women who look like you, seek out women whose bodies look like you. Because again, there's also evidence to suggest that we like images that we see more often. So it might help you again, soften your gaze of yourself if you see other women who are strong and healthy and powerful and they're, maybe they look like you or their body shapes like yours, something like that. So I do think that can be powerful. That's, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> what did you say, Marika? No, I just said that was just such a really, really good point. Yeah, I just like to find yeah. with similar, similar shapes, sizes, colors, body to you that love them, that love the way they look, that are powerful in what they do, and that you mm -hmm. really connect with. I think that's yeah, really ages and every like you said, ages, races, abilities, things like that. I think all of that stuff can be yeah, can be super powerful for women. When you went, um, just taking you back a bit, Molly, you were talking about some of the tips that you can, that you, to give to women that they can actually follow. You, your sort of five-step process, which I thought was really good. Um, you talked a little bit about sort of self-care, but it was really interesting. And I think a lot of women, um, especially mums, think this idea of self-care is having to go to a day spa or having to do something very big and elaborate. And I, I love that you brought it down to something really simple. And it might be, you know, self-care can be reading a book, right? It can be just going for a walk. It can be... Mm -hmm sitting down with a cup of a cup of nice tea that you enjoy. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes we think it has to be a, a two hour bubble bath with candles and flowers. And to be honest, excuse the language, but like when you're really tired and you've got a three week old baby, you ain't got time for that shit. Like it's just, <laughs> it nobody like, got time for that. It feels <laughs> like it's too much. Um, so mm -hmm. then you, I can't, I can't do that. And then you almost feel like, Oh, well, I can't even, do a self-care thing well, like I'm failing mm -hmm. at that, you know, and it can just be like this other 
big thing that I can't do. So I love that you just made it really, really simple. And I think um, women can, yeah, be kind and be nice to themselves and give themselves these, I don't know, I don't want to call it treats, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, like, it's just this little, this little um, something different that you can use to nourish yourself. Yeah, I, I love it. So we actually have an article on Girls Gun Strong called What is Self-Care? And um, GGS co-founder Jen Comis is the one who wrote it. And it's the oh, difference between that. It was really good. Yeah. self-care, self-comfort and self-indulgence. And she was talking about how trendy it is now to like have a woman, you know, with like a bottle of wine tipped up and she's like, hashtag self-care. And Jen's like, wait a second. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. Let's define what this looks like. So self-care um, are, are things that you do for yourself that move you forward or move you closer to ultimately who you want to be as a human and what your goals are, right? So they're basically small votes for yourself that move you um, closer and closer to whatever goals you have for yourself and whoever you want to be in the world. Self-comfort are choices that you make that kind of like they feel good, but maybe they, they keep you where you are, right? Um, and then, and then self-indulgence are things that you do that feel good that like, you know, pull you back. Right. So self-care would be, um, you know, getting in bed early and watching a show or reading a book and then, you know, turning the light out at a reasonable hour. Self-comfort would be getting in bed early and then, you know, watching a show and then being like, I'm going to stay up a little later and watch one more show. And then self-indulgence would be binge watching Netflix until five in the morning. Right. So it's like <laughs> self-care are things that move you forward. So again, that can be a hot cup of tea. That can be a chapter or two in a book that can be listening to a podcast. That could be anything that you do that, helps you feel good and also moves you closer to your goals of self-care. And it can be, like you said, as small as, you know, chopping up some veggies or drinking a cup of tea, or, you know, if you have the luxury of taking a two hour bubble bath surrounded by candles, that could be, that could be it as well. But I'd imagine most new moms probably don't have um, time for that on their schedule. But yeah, I think that stuff's super important. And, and also uh, reiterating to yourself that you're doing it because you're worthy and valuable of, of care, I think is a, a key piece to that as well. Yeah, definitely. Hearing lots and lots of um, hearing lots and lots of changing the reasons why we're doing our things, and um, sounds like you answered. Hearing lots of yeah. Well, I just <laughs> finished teaching that course, so it's yeah. <laughs> and you know making the small changes. What's that next logical step for you? Where are you at with your relationship with your body? And what is that next logical step for you to begin turning around your relationship with your body? Um, and maybe you're there already and that's fantastic. Maybe you have at the other extreme, a real hatred or a self-loathing, or you put your worth in something that, like you said, you know, um, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. Um, and, it, and it's only worthy if it's this very narrow definition. And I'm mixing all the things that you've said, you know, like, I really like that beauty comment um, uh, where, where you make it so narrow, it's unattainable. Um, you know, I, it's, I'm loving all of it. Um, and, it's not only unattainable, and, it's a moving target. Like when yeah. I got super shredded for my first figure competition and I posted a picture of myself with these ripped abs, somebody goes, what happened to your boobs? And I was like, 
holy cow, are you, first of all, that's so rude. <laughs> and second of all, believe it or not, that's what happens to a woman when she loses significant amounts of body fat. Like she also loses breast tissue. But again, they moved the target on me. I lost the weight. I got the six pack. I did the figure show. And then my boobs weren't good enough, you know? And so it's like, not only is it, it's like, it's unattainable. And you know what I mean? Like, even if you think you can get close, they move the target on you. Yeah. I'm going to, yeah. I'm almost over that comment, if you can't tell. (laughs) My my week, um, has anyone been watching that Netflix Marie Kondo thing? They're tidying up. You guys, you're both shaking your heads. Uh, You've been under a rock, haven't you? I've heard about it, though. Um, (laughs) I'm not at my house. So I'm, sure. I'm not at my house right now. So, and I know I'd want to. I know I'd want to tidy up. So I want to wait till I get back to my house to watch it. <laughs> so I'm sure heaps of listeners have watched this, but it's basically yeah, this tidying up show. And there's a reason I'm telling the story. But one of the things that she gets you to do is pull out all your clothes and then pick up each item and does this sparkle joy? Yes, no, keep it, say goodbye, thank you if you don't. And um, this week I decided to do that, and I realised that I had a whole bunch of clothes that I've been hanging on to for when I lose five kilos because, and I thought about it and I was like, hang on, hang on. I had, these are pre baby clothes, right? So these are more than 10 years old. Um, I'm now, I'm, I'm 42. My youngest is eight years old. Um, I just suddenly had this realization, like I'm probably not ever going to be that shape again and that's okay. And I need to ditch this crap because actually it's just sitting there like staring at me going, why aren't you wearing me? Oh, that's right. Cause you, you can't fit into me anymore. You're too uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to wear the clothes. And I just went, what am I doing? And it was like, right off to charity. Um, and it felt so good just to kind of say, no, 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 that's, that's not a priority for me anymore. Like I don't need to lose that five kilos if I do great. Um, but I, you know, I don't have to try and squeeze into these pre baby clothes, especially like 10 years down the track. I don't, I, it, it was interesting process. <laughs> yeah, I love that because you're you're kind of taking your power back from them, right? Because like them hanging in your closet, thinking that you might wear them someday and not doing it is kind of that, again, just a reminder of like, hey, you haven't done that thing or hey, your body's different than it was before. But I kind of like the idea of being like, you are not worthy of me taking up the amount of space that I'm taking up now. Clothes, get out of here. I like that. I like that perspective. You can't contain... Yeah. You can't contain these biceps and these claws. <laughs> You're not worthy. Exactly. You're not worthy. Yeah. Go away. <laughs> I um, Teresa, I, I I was trying to remember why um, I'm remembering it, but Teresa, one of my assistants, Teresa Wasser from RX Physio, was telling me about. Um, and she's telling everybody about this woman. Is it Marie Kondo? I don't know, but um, <laughs> you know. It's inspiring to lots of people around the world. I've actually done that. That's, that is how I clean out my closets. I pick it up and I go, why am I keeping this? And I realize that I'm very sentimental and lots of emotions are actually contained within pieces of clothing, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. Have to examine that relationship. Didn't spend a lot of time on it at the time. It's just like, no, I want to keep it. No, I want to keep it. Um, I'm loving all the practical ideas, um, health and I, you know, we, we kind of mixed up the health and fitness professionals with, um, you know, people in general, we, we've switched, um, and, and, uh, what's changed gears into that throughout this podcast, because to be honest, as a, as a health professional and technically with some fitness professional qualifications, it still applies a hundred percent to me and everything that you're saying is 
100% what I teach to health and fitness professionals about professional issues. So this is all wonderful stuff. Um, specific things that um, people can, um, can try as a health or fitness professional when they hear the negative self-talk. Um, does it become like a personal coaching uh, type of change? In what ways can, can we health and fitness professionals who are listening help um, our clients when we hear signs that people aren't having a good relationship with their body? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, yeah, there's so much that health and fitness professionals can do. And there's kind of like two silos that I, that I like look at when I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking, how can we as health and fitness professionals create a more uh, body positive environment in general for all of our clients and patients? And then what do we do in the moment when someone is, you know, coming to us with this concern or this experience? So there's a talk that I give um, or that I have given several times about helping clients improve their body image. And it kind of boils down to, um, so we talk about what, what is body image, right? And it's, it's about a lot more than the way that your body looks. It's about feeling safe. It's about feeling comfortable. It's about feeling capable. It's about feeling resilient. It's about feeling, you know, a strong, it's about feeling all of these things in your body. Right. And then we talk about kind of the issues with body image and and what happens in the end, I give them kind of a list of things that they can do to create an overall more body positive environment for their clients and patients. So I'll tackle kind of the, the general things that people can do. And then I'll dive into how do you actually respond when someone says, I feel awful, right? So first things first, um, creating a body positive environment for your clients. I think letting clients know that, uh, that body shaming isn't really allowed in your or body bashing or shaming. And this is a little bit more for fitness professionals, maybe than physios, so especially if you're working in a group setting, letting clients know that body shaming and bashing, um, isn't something that's tolerated within your space. I think that's really important. Um, however, they can still come to you with individual concerns, right? So saying like, "Ugh, I look so gross in front of a group of eight people or eight women working out together, right? Is something that's not tolerated within the space. But if your client wants to come to you after class and saying like, Hey, I'm just really struggling. I'm not feeling good in my body. Um, you know, I haven't lost the baby weight, blah, 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 blah. Like that's allowed. Right. But outwardly shaming or bashing, um, their body or another person's body isn't allowed in your space. Um, as a health and fitness professional yourself, not bashing your own body in front of your clients and not bashing anyone else's body, I think is super important. So both of those things are really powerful, um, similar to, or it's kind of the flip side of curating your social media feed, but using a variety of images on your own social media feed and your own marketing and advertising is really important um, for you know, showing your clients that there's not one particular right way to have a body or that you don't only serve one particular population. Um, not assuming what your client's goals are for them is so powerful. I cannot tell you how many women have come to us saying that, you know, like they try to start seeing a trainer and they're like, oh, great, this is what we're going to do to lose that baby weight. Or, um, you know, awesome. did that happen to you, Marika? It sure did. Okay, and now I you got to tell your story. That wasn't in my goals. <laughs> my goals was to be able to deadlift heavier. And I got a weight loss thing and I was like, you weren't listening to me, dude, seriously. 
Yeah. Get out of here. I had a friend who moved from Seattle to Orlando recently, and she's a trainer herself. And she's in, you know, again, not that this matters one way or the other, but as a side note, she's in very, she's in, you know, fantastic shape and is also very lean as well. Um, so she's in great cardiovascular shape. She's strong and she has pretty low body fat. And she went to try out a new gym and they made her have an assessment with the trainer. He's like, we could definitely get rid of the last five pounds. And she's like, what five, like, what are you even talking about? So I know, Anthony, I know, I know that blows your mind. Um, happens constantly uh, to women who are, yeah, whose trainers, trainers assume their, the goal for their client, or even after the client tells the person their goal, they're like, but what are you going to do about the 20 pounds? Or, uh, you know, I still need to weigh you in order to, you know, help you with X, Y, and Z. So not assuming what your client's goals are for them. Not assuming your client's ability level based on the way they look. That is incredibly powerful. Uh, in some preliminary research we did at Girls Gone Strong, um, women reported um, when they were underestimated, they felt angry, frustrated, and like they couldn't reach their potential. When they were overestimated based on the way their body looks, they felt apprehensive and unsafe, and a good number of them actually ended up getting hurt. So Again, creating a body positive environment in general is making it clear that you don't tolerate body shaming or bashing of your own body or anyone else's body. Um, however, coming to you with an individual concern is totally fine. As the uh, you know, health and fitness professional yourself, you don't uh, body bash yourself or other people in front of your clients. Um, you use a variety of images on your social media feed and in your marketing and on your website. Uh, you don't assume what clients' goals are for them. You give them the space to make decisions for themselves and their own bodies and let them kind of guide the way. And uh, you don't assume what your client's ability level is, either underestimating or overestimating them. You assess them properly and then give them options for different exercises they can do and set them up for success in that way. So they feel, um, they feel like they're, you know, they don't feel like they're failing at particular exercises or you're not like, well, this is the way easier exercise. You know, you're not setting them up for things that they're not able to do. So all that stuff is important in general for creating a body positive environment. When it comes to an individual client who's having an issue, so first things first, don't dismiss how they're feeling. So don't roll your eyes and be like, I can't believe you're saying this. Like you just had your baby six weeks ago. It's ridiculous that you're feeling like you should be in this particular shape already, right? So you want to acknowledge how they're feeling without actually agreeing with them. So saying, I totally hear what you're saying. It sounds like you're feeling some discomfort in your body. Let's talk about this a little bit more. Um, get curious and ask them questions. Because like we've talked about earlier in the podcast, the things that they're telling you they're feeling might be stemming from something different than either what they're saying or different from what you're assuming. So again, we hear pre-baby body back. The first thing my brain goes to is aesthetics, but their brain might be going to performance or function or something like that, right? So we want to get curious, figure out what they're actually saying. So um, We've got some great, uh, great questions in our pre and postnatal coaching certification where you can ask your clients who are having these kind of struggles. Why is this goal important to you? What is the significance or value behind this goal? So digging in a little bit and saying like, because again, they might say, this is important to me because I've been an athlete for my whole life and I just really want to get back to that because it was so important for me managing my mental health or, you know, it's so much of my identity or who I was. Um, what do you imagine will change or improve your life by reaching that again? So saying like, how do you think your life would be if you got, you know, got back to your pre-baby genes or how would things be different for you if, you know, you lost the 15 or 20 pounds, whatever that you're still carrying since having your baby. So asking them 
what they think their life will be like or how things will change or improve. Because again, so many women think if I lose 20 pounds, that's a panacea, right? My life's going to be perfect. My marriage is going to be better. I'm going to feel more comfortable. I'm going to feel sexy. You know, my friends are going to think that I look amazing and they're going to, you know, ooh and ah over me because I've lost all this weight, right? Like, what do you think this will do for you? Um, is there a specific motivation behind this goal? Do you have an important event coming up? That can be really helpful. Um, what's your internal dialogue right now? What are you saying to yourself? Is it defeating or inverating? Um, is this a goal you chose for yourself? Or is this something that you've heard, you know, some, maybe somebody else kind of encouraged you to have this goal? So we see that a lot, like a partner, relative, or friend who's kind of planting in the woman's head these goals that she should have for herself. And how are you coping with life as a new mom in general? Um, do you feel supported and happy? Are you overwhelmed, depleted? Um, things like that. So digging in a little bit more to how she's feeling in that way. So I'll kind of recap those again. Why is this life goal important to you? What do you imagine will change or improve or what will your life be like if you reach it? Is there a specific motivation behind this goal? Do you have an important event coming up? Uh, what's your internal dialogue right now, like right now? Is this a goal for you, you chose for yourself? And how are you coping as, uh, with life as a new mom in general? So again, asking these questions to get them talking a little bit. They're open-ended questions, right? They're not yes or no questions. They're open-ended questions that can really just open the floodgates and help, um, help us understand what women are actually going through. So um, asking these questions and then meeting them where they are. So again, saying like, okay, so this is how you're feeling in your body. This is what you're wanting for your body. This is a goal that you set for yourself. You feel like if you lose the 15 pounds that you're still holding on to at this, you know, from, uh, from your pre-pregnancy that you'll feel stronger and more athletic. So you're telling me that your goal is to feel stronger and more athletic in your body. Um, you know, let's talk about some things that you're willing to do um, to help you get closer to reaching that goal. Right. And then you start breaking it down. Like what behaviors are you, can you work out three times a week for 45 minutes, you know, things like that. So, um, so meeting them where they are and then helping them set the behavior-based goals that will help them feel as though they're taking care of themselves and regain some control. So it's kind of like the self-care that we were talking about previously, but these are helping them actual set actual goals that will move them, um, behavior-based goals that will move them closer towards their outcome-based goal. It sounds like Molly through that reflective listening process when you were listening to them and then and repeating back to them what they were telling you that you were then emphasizing some of the other positives of that goal that were not necessarily aesthetically based like you're saying okay so what you were saying to me when you lose that 15 pounds that you will feel stronger and more powerful but then would you emphasize more that hey we're going to get you stronger more powerful those sort of aspects of the same goal is that kind of where you're going with that? Well. Yeah, because, you know, I think that, because here's the thing, we can um, reliably tell our clients, I think, that we can help them get stronger and more powerful. It is more difficult to tell our clients that they reliably, that they will lose 15 pounds or wear a size six, right? So I feel pretty comfortable telling someone that I can help them get stronger and, you know, improve their performance in this particular way. It's a little bit more challenging to guarantee them that they're going to lose a certain amount of weight or wear a certain size. So I kind of focus on the things that I'm, that I'm pretty sure that I can help them do. And if they circle back around and say, but yeah, but am I going to wear a size six? You know, you can say, well, you know, the things that we're going to do are going to make that outcome more likely. It's impossible for us to predict exactly what's going to happen. But the good news is, is we can start implementing these behaviors and we'll tweak them along the way. Right? So you don't demonize the goal. 
you tell her like, Hey, you know, we're going to do things that are going to help you move towards that more closely. And they're also going to do this, 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 and this for you. And we can, the good news is, is we can tweak and assess and change your um, program throughout the way based on how you're feeling, based on how much sleep you're getting, based on how much you're enjoying the program, things like that. So again, hearing them, meeting them where they are, not demonizing that goal and being really honest with them about what you can help them achieve while emphasizing other parts of, um, other outcomes that you think you're more certain that you can help them reach. One of the, um, but that's, that's fantastic stuff, by the way. Um, one of the things that crops up in my head while listening to you is that, you know, we, we health professionals, uh, definitely really have this, um, this idea that sometimes, you know, the patient's goals, which are very, very important to us, don't always head towards some of the goals that they want to achieve with us. For example, um, weight gain, high BMI, and we can talk about how bad BMI is as a measure, but you know, pelvic floor dysfunction doesn't care where your weight comes from, whether it's muscle or whether it's, it's uh, fat. Um, you know, we, we know that increased weight uh, increases your likelihood of developing pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, we know that inadequate exercise is um, associated with that. How do we, we also know just how terrible this postpartum period can be if you, you know, if you don't have the insta-perfect life that the 0.001% of people have, um, you don't have the money for a nanny, all the rest of it, um, you didn't win the genetic lottery, how do we um, how do we get people to that point of including some of those other things without creating problems ourselves? You know, um, you, you know what's one of the things that I ask people to think about as um, as physios, women's health physios, in helping their their clients with pelvic floor dysfunction is well, what is your plan to achieve? the World Health Organization's recommendations, which as an evidence-based practitioner, we should be assessing suitability for, of getting them to 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise in a person who's struggling to find five minutes to sit down and have a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. um, how do we juggle some of our professional responsibility at the same time as, you know, because it's, it's good for their health at the same time as not creating other problems in and of themselves. Yeah. So that's, that is a great question. I think if it's something Marika, is this the say a similar question that we tackled? We were walking, we were somewhere together in Melbourne and you were like, okay, as a body positive professional, what do I do if a client is having pelvic floor dysfunction and I know that her losing five kilos would improve her pelvic floor function. Do you remember that? You we asked me that. Past the MCG having this conversation. <laughs> Yes. I remember that. It was, yeah, because it was such a good question and I love it because, um, so I think that again, uh, being a body positive professional is not about, um, is not about discouraging people from wanting to change their body, right? It's about, for me, presenting them with a bunch of options. So if someone ha has pelvic floor dysfunction, I was telling Marika, so you can say, Hey, so, you know, I've done your assessment. I've noticed you're having pelvic pelvic floor dysfunction, you're having urinary incontinence. So the good news is there are a lot of things that we can do about it. There are several different things that research shows or evidence suggests um, can help improve pelvic floor dysfunction. 
I'm going to give you a number of these, and then we're going to talk about which ones you feel like you can start implementing into your life on a regular basis. So, uh, you know, regular exercise, X amount of, you know, minutes per week. Um, you know, evidence shows that losing five kilos in women is enough to, you know, significantly improve pelvic floor function. Research shows that, you know, uh, making sure that you're well hydrated and you're not getting constipated can help blah, 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 whatever, improve, you know, improve pelvic floor dysfunction. So giving them a number of things that they could possibly do that would contribute towards that and then say, which one of these sounds like something that you're um, interested, ready, willing, and able basically to tackle right now? And let them so say, hey, there are all of these things that we can do. So giving them hope, right? That helping them envision a hopeful future for themselves that they can improve, telling them all of the different ways that they can do it, and then helping them determine what's going to work for them. Because certainly someone getting 150 minutes of you know, movement or exercise every week is fantastic. But if they feel like their options are to do nothing or to get 150 minutes per week, that's just that's gonna be so discouraging for some people. And I think a lot of women maybe have a, a slightly warped perspective, again, thanks to social media of like what exercise is, right? Like they think they have to be doing all kinds of like plyometrics or absolutely crushing themselves or doing hit or what they consider Tabatas or CrossFit or whatever, when really they could be taking a brisk walk around their neighborhood and that could help contribute, you know, to some of the exercise that they were getting. So I think, um, you know, presenting, presenting factual evidence to them. Hey, evidence suggests that these things can all help with that. What do you think that you can tackle right now? Because if you say, Hey, the only way that you're going to you know, feel better is if you do X, Y, and Z, and they're going to feel like they don't have a choice and they're not going to be bought into the solution. And they, if it doesn't fit into their life, they're going to be less likely to implement it and all of these things. So presenting them with different options that might help um, and then working with them to determine which one they want to tackle first with, again, the idea being every time they engage in a behavior that moves them closer towards the type of person that they want to be, this identity of a strong, fit, healthy um, person is going to help them build positive momentum um, you know, towards those goals. And then again, starting with them where they are. If they can't find five minutes to get a cup of coffee and the eventual goal is to get them to 150 minutes of exercise, you're going to have to start with small um, achievable goals and help them feel like they're being successful and achieving them as you move them toward uh, what your bigger and longer term goals are for them. Is that helpful? Did I answer your question? <laughs> and I think that leads us beautifully into um, talking about the CPPC, Molly, because so for those that don't know, the pre and postnatal um, certification that Girls Gone Strong has created um, is going to be released very, very soon. And I'll, I'll get Molly to talk about it. But I think from a, from a physiotherapist perspective, I've learned so much about the coaching side um you know you've touched on a lot of that and again i just i learn things from you every time you talk molly so you're just like oh ah! same, same. <laughs> um but i think you know that all these amazing tips that you've given on how we can work work better with our clients um i think it'd be fantastic if you don't mind talking about the certification that's coming out who it's who it's for uh you know what's in it and what are the outcomes that people can expect from from doing the course i think that'd be great yeah, absolutely. So the CPPC, that's Certified Pre and Postnatal Coach. So it's our pre and postnatal coaching certification. So it is the world's first and only um, comprehensive, and I could get into what that means in a minute, evidence-based interdisciplinary uh, coaching certification that covers pre and postnatal health. So it's comprehensive and then it covers um, uh, prenatal information. So it covers women all throughout their pregnancy and it covers postnatal information. And it's also comprehensive and then it covers coaching, psychology, 
anatomy and physiology, nutrition, exercise, the birth process, rest and recovery, programming, and it covers all of those things um, throughout pregnancy and throughout the postpartum period. And it's interdisciplinary. So we had six physios. Uh, Marika was one of them. So um, six uh, physios involved in the project. We had uh, four PhDs. So we had PhDs in psychology, which is, well, again, where you'll get a lot of the coaching aspect, molecular biology, exercise science, and rehabilitation science. We had, um, let's see, four pre and postnatal fitness experts, an OBGYN, a doula, and a midwife who's also a nurse practitioner. So all of these brilliant women came together and created this coaching certification. It comes with a 500 page textbook, a hardcover, beautiful textbook, a 100 page workbook, a mobile friendly online portal filled with, yeah, Marika's got it right there, filled with, um, tons of videos and assessment forms and tools and all kinds of super valuable information. Um, and it's, it's really good for any current or aspiring health and fitness professional who's interested in working with women. So here's the thing. People think that working with pre and postnatal women is a niche. However, 67 to 75% of people who hire a coach and trainer are women, and 85% of women will have a baby at some point in their life. So that means if you work with, if you work with women, it's, there's a good chance that like 50 to 60% of your clients uh, will get pregnant, are pregnant, or have been pregnant at some point in their life. And more than that, women influence 70 to 80%. So women are more likely to invest in their health than men. And women in, influence 70 to 80% of spending globally, either by being the ones to actually spend the money or by influencing the, the decision. So understanding how to work with pre and postnatal women is not only not a niche, but here's the thing. Most health and fitness professionals think it is so they don't know how to work with them. So the demand and the demand for women as they're starting to listen to podcasts like this and, and recognize that they haven't been getting the coaching and care they deserve, demand for high quality pre and postnatal professionals is at an all time high. So women are demanding better. 85% of them are having a baby at some point in their life. Very few health and fitness professionals know how to work with them. And so it's kind of like this golden age where if you are a health and fitness professional who understands how to work with pre and postnatal women, then your services are going to be in such high demand because there are so few, this is how economics works, folks. There's, there's so little supply of health and fitness pros who know how to do it. And then the demand from women is going up and up and it's going to keep going up and up as more women realize that they haven't been getting the coaching and care that they deserve. And they're going to realize that because they're going to start seeing on social media, hey, uh, peeing my pants after I have a baby is happening, but it doesn't have to be happening, right? This heaviness that I'm feeling in my pelvis doesn't have to be happening. I shouldn't still be having, you know, uh, painful sex with my husband a year postpartum, like things like that. Like they're going to start realizing that, um, that they haven't been getting the coaching and care they deserve. They already are, and, and it's going to keep going up and up. So being a, uh, a health and fitness professional who understands how to help pre and postnatal women is um, going to absolutely help, uh, you know, improve your business, help you make more money, help you, you know, build a career in life you love centered around helping women and help women get the coaching and care they deserve. I mean, does it get better than that? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's... Amazing. I just reading one of the, one of the joys of working in the Facebook group is actually just um, reading some of the comments from people who have done the course. And mm. as, as someone who wrote a section of it, it's just lovely to have people comment. And wrote say, a section, oh, Marika, you wrote like, Pages. tens of thousands of words yeah exactly <laughs> um but you know having people 
people write in and say, oh my God, I've done, I did, you know, pre and post stuff before. I've never seen anything so comprehensive because um, there's a lot, there's a lot in this and mm. the way that it's designed where people can, you know, do a chapter and then do some questions to, you know, review the content, do a couple of case studies, watch some videos. It's just that really nice way of consolidating the information because if you're anything like me, I, I need to do that because I can go to a course or read a book and go, yeah, 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 I get it. And then I'll forget it 10 seconds later. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love this process of, you know, you know, read it, reinforce it, um, apply it before mm-hmm. you move on. And it just consolidates that information. And that's been some of the wonderful feedback from clients going, or, you know, I've just had my first pregnant client and I, and I felt, you know, it was amazing. And I, I, I got to apply all this knowledge and it was, and, and people were really excited by it, which is really lovely. <laughs> yeah, it's it's that uh, we worked really hard to make it transformative. So like Marika said, you know, so it comes to this textbook and the workbook and the online portal. So typically people read a chapter and then they go to their online portal, they consume videos with people like Marika in them um, talking about different topics. Uh, so they watch videos that support the information or for example, if we're talking about like what warm up could you do with a woman at this particular stage, it's like go to your online portal and watch a video about this. Um, then you go to your workbook, you answer questions that again, reinforce the information. You fill out a case study that's related to the information learned in that chapter. And then, at the, and then you move on to the next chapter. And at the end of every unit, so there's five units and you take an exam online and then you have access again in a closed Facebook group to super smart people like Marika and other curriculum contributors. Um, so if you're like, Hey, you know, this didn't make sense to me, or I got stuck here, or I read this in this book, in the book, but then I read this somewhere else. Can anybody help clarify? Um, you've got access, you you know, 24 seven to all these awesome curriculum contributors in that group as well. And so, and it's so cool, you know, to have, um, cause it, Marika wrote a lot, but it's not like Marika wrote one chapter and that was in, and that was the only person that wrote that chapter, right? Um, there were every chapter was written, reviewed, edited, tweaked, and challenged by six to 10 of the experts. So we had them in there saying like, Hey, you're saying this, but this isn't what I found to necessarily be accurate in my practice. Or, Hey, can we expand the definition of this a little bit? Or, Hey, let's be really careful. The research says this, but like, you know, that doesn't mean that we want to present the information this way or, Hey, you know, these two uh, references conflict. So how can we add more context to, to these studies so that our, you know, um, students actually understand how to apply this in real life and what are the limitations of the study and things like that. So, um, yeah, super, super cool, super valuable information that is immediately actionable, um, for anybody who, who takes it and can really, anybody can benefit benefit from it. I mean, again, Marika wrote big portions of it, but I know you've talked about how much you've learned from the coaching and psychology and, um, nutrition chapters and, and even some of the exercise, uh, you know, strength training chapters and stuff as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Absolutely. And I think um, one of the things we tried to be really clear about in our writing too, is because we wanted to make it so evidence-based was to discuss what is actually based on research. Cause we don't have tons of research um, on exercise and pregnancy. So we obviously have done a massive literature review for that, but um, because there's not a lot of uh, research really also trying to give people, you know, very practical um hints to you straight away in practice and to sort of discuss what is research-based versus what is our opinion or our professional experience and try and marry that all together which is which is what evidence-based practice is it's it's bringing Mm -hmm. all those aspects together yes along with the patient and client values as well so again giving them autonomy presenting them with options giving them the opportunity to choose um but you know based on the you know the evidence and the practical practical experience here are the things that we found to work in this particular way and then and then bringing them in so that they can help 
you know, be a decision maker and feel like they have some choice and autonomy um, over their bodies, maybe in a, in a time when they, you know, haven't had that as much. Fantastic. Um, such a great, oh man, I know we just spent a lot of time. We, we were supposed to limit it, but you know what? I love this. Um, if, if you listening out there have enjoyed the podcast and you know what, if you haven't, I don't know, listen to it again because <laughs> just listening to Molly, I can, <laughs> I've got so many thoughts swimming in my head. Um, it's been fantastic. And if you want to be a part of the, the GGS community, please um, click on the link below. Full disclosure, we have an affiliate link, which means that we do receive some money if you use our link. Um, and it's a way to help support the show. We, we need sponsors to take care of the technical things. We're, um, we're organizing subtitles so that people can watch the videos with subtitles and full scripts um, if you prefer to read and you can't listen or you can't watch. And, um, you know, join this community. It's fun. Um, I'm, I'm in some of the groups. I can't be in all the groups. Um, and I'm always interested when Molly writes something or I'm always interested when Marika responds in particular um, because I'm learning too. And the day that I stop learning is the day that I really should retire. So, um, so thank you very much. Uh, I just wanted to cover just really a brief summary. And one thing that you mentioned that I think we alluded to, but you haven't spelt out is um, that body 3.0. So can you summarize the key themes of, um, of what body 3.0 is? I know we've just been talking about it, so it's only going to take 30 seconds and, mm. um, and give us a parting message, something positive that will uh, take us forward until the next time. Yes, I might need I might need more context for this though cuz I know I talked about I know I talked you're talking about like the way that we view um or the you way women You talked about view. 1. Point, yeah, you talked about body 1.0 and I'm going to talk about 3.0. Oh, dang, no. Clearly outlined. <laughs> I know body 1.0 is like everyone should look like this and body 2.0 was oh no, you know, you shouldn't have that as a goal. Mm, got it yeah so so yeah okay got it so body yeah body 1.0 is everybody should look this particular way and then body 2.0 are we talking about when health and fitness professionals are talking to women about their bodies is that what it was where the 1.0 version is they're promoting this really narrow definition of what healthy and fit should look like and then 2.0 is when they're like ugh, like rolling their eyes and they're um uh yeah. you know saying like oh that's a ridiculous goal you shouldn't have that goal yeah, I see a lot of health and fitness professionals like it doesn't matter what your body looks like. It matters how you perform. And it's like, wait a second, let's not give women any more limited narratives that they can have about what their bodies are supposed to do or look like or what goals we're supposed to have for ourselves. Let's give ourselves the space to make these decisions for ourselves without shame or judgment. Um, so 3.0 would be showing women all the possibilities for their lives and their bodies and their goals and their performance and giving them the space to make decisions um, that they want for themselves and working with them to, uh, to help them set goals for themselves and help them envision a hopeful future so that they're excited about, you know, the possibilities of what their body might look like or what it could do or how it could perform or how it could feel. Autonomy, Bam. name of the game. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Fantastic. Love it. 
Yeah, right. Okay, except unfortunately, I have one more thing to say after the mic drop. So, enrollment for the CPBC. I know you can't. Hold on, pick it up. Pick it up real quick. Okay, okay, guys. So, enrollment for the pre and postnatal coaching certification only opens twice a year. So, we like to spend the rest of our time serving our students. So, enrollment is not open all the time. So, we open enrollment twice a year. and uh, we only take a limited number of people so that, again, we're working um, in a closed Facebook group. You have access to all the curriculum contributors. So we really take a limit the number of health and fitness professionals that we take. Um, so it opens February 12th, but only if you are on the pre-sale list. And uh, Anthony and Marika will be able to put a link to the pre-sale list. Being on the pre-sale list, if you buy during the pre-sale period, allows you to save up to $388 and allow you to enroll 24 to 36 hours or 24 to 48 hours before everyone else to increase your chances of getting a spot. So make sure that you get on the pre-sale list for the pre and postnatal coaching certification if you're interested to save a bunch of money and make sure that you get a spot because it won't open again until um, near the end of 2019. So, and we'll have payment, very, very, very affordable payment plans available as well. And people think that we're joking when we say like the cart closes, it's not a joke. And then two months, two months later, people go, when is it opening again? When is it opening? It's like, it's not opening for another four months. So seriously, Mm -hmm. the cart does close. (laughs) It is a limited it does actually close it's actually true not one of those evergreen things that's like rolling every like however many weeks yeah no it actually closes and actually won't open again and we literally won't have books to send you until the end of the year so yeah so february 12th mark your calendar make sure you get on the pre-sale list and again um if you love the podcast which i know you do because auntie and marika are awesome uh you can support it um by you know, using their link. So thank you all so much for having me. It is always such a pleasure. The only problem is that it's making me miss you all in person real bad. And I probably won't get to see you in person again for a while, but thanks for having me. You all are awesome. Thank you so much. Loved having you here. And thank you again for your time and your generosity and your message and your work and your inspiration. Truly do love it. Um, and for all your team that support you in doing this. Um, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Well, that's it for this episode. Please be sure to hit like if you enjoyed this episode and leave any comments or questions below because we'd really love to hear from you. If you haven't already hit subscribe, please do so now so that you can be kept notified of when we release a new episode. Otherwise, thank you for listening and we look forward to having you back with us for another episode of the Women's Health Podcast.